0: I'm Alexander Hefner, your host on the Open Mind. You're listening to our daily podcast edition of the program. Today, we're welcoming the authoritative tweeter about the protest movements <laughs> in the United States. Joshua Podash runs his Twitter feed, which is really a teacher's feed that began reporting on and exposing the violence against citizens, the police brutality, and the rise of authoritarianism and white supremacy. And we know that the remnants of the police brutality and corruption have been here for some time. Joshua, thanks so much for joining me today.
1: Thanks, Alex. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on.
0: Uh, You are an educator. Uh, You've taught high Mm -hmm. school. You've taught the university level. How did this project of your Twitter account and reporting on protests around the country and around the world, too, I should add, how did that begin?
1: Um, uh, I was at a point uh, where I had left uh, teaching at the high school level and I was adjuncting at the college level and I had a more flexible schedule, more free time and I got on Twitter kind of randomly and kind of quickly realized the power of the platform. Um, and wanted to use the power of the platform as best I could to combat what I see is the kind of rise of authoritarianism, as you mentioned, not I mean primarily in the United States, but it is does seem to be a worldwide trend as well so um you know I saw a lot of people talking about the problems we're facing, but i I didn't see as many people focusing on on taking action, which I think is vital you know and um obviously there's a you know tremendously important election coming up uh but I've been inspired by people who aren't just waiting to vote, but are also taking action. And um, that looks like Black Lives Matter protests, but also, you know, protesting the RNC or Mitch McConnell's house or authoritarian China, or, you know, there's just so many examples of people taking action. And I just wanted to try to elevate, um, amplify those, those actions around the country and around the world as best I could.
0: And if you follow Josh on Twitter, you will see, um, most seconds of most days, the latest information on protests around the globe, not just in the U.S. Do you rely on a network of folks that you follow on Twitter and that you are also in, in correspondence with uh, to be able to have the most up-to-date and authoritative um, picture of, of the protests? How, how are you able to manage what appear to be um, these overlapping... Protests all around the world.
1: Um, Yeah, I try to follow reporters on the ground in in different cities and countries. Um, And yeah, I I, DM or talk with you know people on the ground in D.C. and Chicago and and Portland and Seattle and uh, elsewhere, uh, Lebanon. So Chile. Um, Yeah, and I, you know, I. To, I, I actually had a bad habit for a little while of like tweeting out their videos myself, and I uh, am grateful to uh, specifically Chuck an uh, incredible on-the-ground reporter in D.C. for helping me um, focus more on on re- like tweeting, you know, retweeting and getting out the content of these incredible people on the ground around the country. Because, like you said, it's, there's no formal network, but Twitter allows me to follow hundreds of great people on the ground and. and places around the country and the world.
0: And Josh, you yourself have documented the protests in New York to some extent?
1: Yeah, yeah, I try to be on the ground in New York on a, as as much as possible. You know, even last night there was a great, uh, some powerful protests in response to the, the shooting of Jacob Blake, and yeah, I try to get out there as much as I can.
0: Has there been any unifying principle you've seen in, in all the instances of US and global protests right now about the demographic, how many are young people, is it a largely multicultural, multiracial representation? What, what, what are some of the unifying principles you see in your documentation of these protests?
1: That's a fantastic question, unifying principles. I think resistance to authoritarianism, resistance to government it takes different forms, but government corruption, fascism. Um, I think that's been the single most unifying principle. You know, I think we've seen a rise in authoritarianism around the world um, from what we've seen with Donald Trump to Vladimir Putin to Boris Johnson. I think a lot of these guys are right-wing populist, Bolsonaro. Um, and I think the biggest this is just my opinion, but I think the biggest reason we've seen this wave of response the past couple of years is um, that people have embraced, essentially embraced democracy around the world in the past couple of decades, hundred, you know, I'm not a historian, but um, people have embraced democracy. And then this rise of authoritarianism is just something people do not want to permit. Um, So I think that's one of the reasons we've seen this wave around the world. Obviously, the Black Lives Matter movement, which has been so powerful the past couple months, is a unique circumstance that is interconnected. You know, I think a lot of policing in this country is an authoritarian system. Um, And so I think it's connected, but also has a ton of its own uh, motivations and demographics
0: i don 't know Josh, that many people attributed the illiberalism in donald trump 's rhetoric and then the behavior and the political actions as being derived from police brutality and practices subjugating people of color, black and brown communities. but as you saw with the protester in Buffalo who was
1: mm, mm-hmm. it
0: was it is not a single dimension but mm-hmm. is is that your thesis you're basically Operating from the principle that most Americans neglected for these decades to see the 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 origin of the illiberalism,
1: Uh, specifically the illiberalism in our police forces.
0: Right. I mean, just you know, famously, Donald Trump, both during the campaign and later on, was encouraging. excessive force, illegal criminal force in speeches, mm, mm-hmm. police headquarters. I remember one in uh, Long Island um, mm-hmm. that, he, that he did. Um, yeah, I, I guess the question is, you know, how much of that illiberalism um, and the kind of politics of Trumpism and the contemporary Republican Party, would you trace to the police practices specifically?
1: Yeah, I think there is a connection there that Donald Trump is helping to highlight. I think, as you mentioned, it's been true since the origins of policing in this country that it has been a a racist and oppressive institution and there's been a culture of authoritarianism and repression within our police forces. But I think, uh, maybe ironically, Donald Trump has revealed to many more people, maybe some, especially some white Americans who hadn't realized before that, uh, this, as you call it, illiberalism in our police forces. I think when he endorses violence from police, uh, when his press secretary, um, tries to dismiss the brutal shoving of that, of that elderly man in Buffalo, who was so clearly just trying to walk down the street, um, uh, when they invite, um, the McCluskey's, I believe they're called, uh, when they invite these people who bring guns out to meet uh, Black Lives Matter protesters walking down the street, when they invite them to the RNC, I think they're showing people uh, who may otherwise not have been aware that there's a deep uh, seated authoritarian, illiberal sickness in our police forces that is not the exception, but is the rule.
0: That's the rule. And I wonder, you know, even though we seem as a society to be more cognizant of the inequity, um, you know, there there is an element of the unifying principle that is systemic reform and looking at it holistically. uh, Policing being one element that is um, unequal and uh, often um, cruel in communities that are suffering financially, economically. And so Mm, mm -hmm. when I ask you about unifying principles, uh, how much of the pressure now in the protests is on uh, delivering real reforms and protesting outside of mayor's offices and city council meetings and, and yes, uh, McConnell and DeJoy's uh, homes to actually deliver, uh, either legislative or political reform, how much of, do you, of it do you think is really driving towards that now? I think,
1: I think it's all driving towards that. I think it's all driving towards p- pushing politicians to enact real substantial reforms. I think, you know, there was a powerful Black Lives Matter movement in 2014 and 2015, and you know, it was nationwide. It was, it was definitely viewed as more radical than it is today. Um, but it was, it was driving at the same things. And I think what we saw is that the minor reforms that, uh, were enacted at that time were not enough. Um, in New York, for example, we see that there's a chokehold ban, but police still continue to choke people out and they face little, to no consequences. So, um, the reason I bring that up is because I think what people are pushing for now across the country is, is larger systemic reform, you know, and, uh, Minneapolis, the city council was willing and after, you know, maybe not coincidentally after some extreme protests and some rioting, um, to dismantle the police department and start with a, a new department that's really invested in community safety. I know there, I know there's been some hiccups with that. Um, and it hasn't, uh, proceeded, but there was willingness um, and even some action taken amongst the city council. So um, people are pushing for this systemic reform. And I think one thing that is sometimes lost when we see an image of a, of a burning pre- police precinct or something is that if politicians had enacted these systemic reforms in 2014, 2015, 16, 17, 18, 19, or this summer, uh, pe- people would not be out there doing that. Um, there are obviously angry, irrational people out there as one would expect after violent shootings of, of black people continue to happen again and again and again. Um, but people are really are pushing for systemic reform and they're pushing for systemic reform so that this doesn't happen again, so that there's not another Jacob Blake or Breonna Taylor or George Floyd and, and on and on and on. Um, so I think what is lost sometimes is that all protests are trying to push these politicians to take substantial systemic action. Um, and sometimes that uh, might not look, obviously sometimes it doesn't look the way people would like it to look, but um, I think politicians are the only people who really have the power to make this, these, this stop. They, they are the people who have the power to, to reform, not, to not just reform, but dramatically overhaul um, our systems of policing in this country. And people know that, you know, I think there's a narrative sometimes that people are, people in the streets are ignorant or just angry or whatever, but they're trying to pressure politicians and it's up to politicians to listen.
0: How concerned are you about the, the sort of abstract philosophical agreement with Black Lives Matter protesters and those who want to acknowledge the dignity of of their fellow man and woman, um, you know, the, the being out of sync with sort of the way that they are going to comport themselves during this election cycle, like viewing the protests as urgent and and also viewing them as something that they would participate in. I think that there is, um, I don't know if it's a tone deafness or precisely how to capture it, but there is certainly a a liberalism that is opposed to to Trump, um, and, and if you want to call it liberalism or progressivism, but in opposition to Trump, that stands tall in principle with uh, Black Lives Matter and the protesters, but won't engage in it directly themselves. And and um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, how concerned are you that 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 forebodes? Uh, less enthusiasm on election day and and you know not the results that would squash the authoritarianism um
1: yeah i have some concerns i think i think there's a lot of a lot of layers to that question i think one is that to equate the black lives matter movement with the democratic party is just is just inaccurate um And I'm not, of course, saying, you know, you did not do that in your question, Um, but there are many people who explicitly or implicitly, implicitly do that. Um, You know, when, when Black Lives Matter protesters rise up in Chicago, they're protesting largely Mayor Lori Lightfoot, a Democrat, right? And she is unwilling to listen so far, uh, from what I've seen, from a distance, uh, from a, from close up, I've seen Bill De Blasio not listen to um, Black Lives Matter protesters in New York. Governor Cuomo, essentially, not listening. Many, you know. So I, I think it, I think Joe Biden is not the Black Lives Matter candidate. You know, not by not by a long shot. Um, and I th- I think he's. It almost explicitly said that in some in some cases, you know, people say, "Do you fund the police?" and he says, "No, I want to give police more money for trainings." And I'm not. Uh, I uh, my only point here is that um, it would be illogical of people to associate uh, the Black Lives Matter protest with a political party because they are they are not affiliated with any political party. Now that uh, obviously some people will will view it that way anyway um but i think what we're seeing especially with the intensity of protests and riots in kenosha is that a lot of people are at a point where no matter what any politician says no matter what you or i so you know or anybody says um people are at a point where they feel like they simply can't wait you know you you can't just watch a friend and neighbor be brutally shot at close range seven times for in the back for no reason with his kids uh, a couple feet away um, and say, yeah, you know, I'm going to wait till 2021 to do anything about this. Um, I think that's the simple fact is that no matter what any sort of leader says, it's what what is required. If If Democratic politicians want the Black Lives Matter movement to not disrupt their election, to not um, hurt their chances of beating Trump and you know, McConnell and the whole GOP in this election, what they should do is pass meaningful legislation right now. Um, they should not wait. They shouldn't wait for another riot. Um, well, that's true. A lot of
0: Although, this, you know, it's, you know. There, there are some legislatures and, and governors that are empowered to do that. And there are some, including our federal system with the United States Senate that would be empowered power to, but would not ever have the political will to do it on, on the Senate side. Um, so, you know, knowing that that's the, the climate right now uh, politically. Yeah. Where do you think, you know, sort of the future resides in the protests and the, and the sort of evolving, police skirmishes and battles in some cases um, in places like Portland, um, but they're happening in New York city and Chicago too. Um, Mm -hmm. No, as someone who surveyed the landscape of um, police brutality across the United States in 2020, like where do we stand relative to where we were, you know, weeks or months ago when this, this began Um, just in terms of accountability and standards for policing and expectations for protesters?
1: In terms of standards and accountability for policing, I think the main change that has occurred is a large percentage of the population. I've personally heard from some older white folks, which uh, probably is stereotypically the demographic that Um, three or four months ago would have sided most strongly with the police um, in terms of just, you know, they're doing their job and so on and so forth. Um, And people should listen, comply, you know, don't, if you don't want to get hurt, don't resist arrest and and that type of narrative. Um, I've heard personally from some of them that witnessing the brutal police crackdowns and tear gassing and beating of People who are out there in, you know, kids were out there in June um, and still are, but especially in June, you know, kids were out there in t-shirts, you know, holding signs and getting tear gassed. Um, So I think the biggest shift that has occurred is the realization by many people that uh, there's a fundamental flaw in our police system. um, And that, you know, often police can't be trusted. They're going to respond to peaceful protests uh, against them specifically with violence. Um, legislatively i have seen some victories um but they and this is largely my opinion but they've been incremental and and quite uh, small re- uh, relative to the magnitude of the problem um but it's only been a few months right and a gigantic shift in public opinion in a few months is to this degree is rare um even the slogan defund the police which was in June, and probably by many, is still called, uh, you know, not um, effective or not catchy or um, alienating the people. Um, I think the the public opinion, even around that simple slogan, has shifted dramatically and rapidly in the past couple months. Um, so I think that's that's been the largest impact.
0: Right, and and you know, so as a final question, Josh, you are someone who said we need to be prepared to. Uh, Mm -hmm. protest Donald Trump's refusal to accept election results or um, protest Mm -hmm. illegitimate results um, Mm -hmm. that may be rigged. Um, And, you know, you are absolutely 100% serious about this. And many Mm -hmm. increasingly are too um, in Mm -hmm. in the sort of establishment space. And, you know, as recently as today, a former presidential candidate, former Vice President Al Gore said that, Um, the military will run out Trump if he refuses to uh, concede or leave office. Um, Mm -hmm. Given what we know now, um, do you feel confident in the strength of the protest movement and, and sort of the ability of the protest movement to consolidate what i mean by that is there are those who are mm-hmm. sympathetic mm-hmm. with the protesters on the streets but who haven't engaged themselves but if if that were to transpire and we're on the brink of full-scale authoritarianism in this country uh you have confidence that the american people in a, in an even larger more robust uh presence will protest um and that that um more so than the military might be instrumental in ensuring um, a democratic and legitimate transfer of power.
1: Overall, my answer is yes. I do. Um, I think it is frightening and alarming that you know somebody like Al Gore, let alone you know the rest of us, um, are in a place where we essentially have to consider the possibility of the U.S. military intervening, but I think he's right to bring that up. Um, But more importantly, like you were saying, yes, I have faith in the American people to pour out into the streets. Um, I think what we see around the world and with the Black Lives Matter movement is that at times there is a spark that sets off a massive wave of protest. And not only would, Donald Trump prematurely declaring victory as absentee ballots are still being counted or something along those lines. Not only would that be that spark, in my opinion, I think this country is already so, this country is already a powder keg. I think we are not, that is a spark that would catch fire. I think from the black lives matter movement to the vitriolic hatred for what Donald Trump is doing, his authoritarian, uh, policies and his rhetoric and everything. Um, I think we would see millions of people pour out into the street. I think we would see DC shut down. Um, I personally already know coalition of many large organizations that, that, you know, your viewers have probably heard of um, that are preparing something. I believe they call it, are calling it protect the results. Um, And not to mention lesser known organizations and more more leftist organizations uh, also preparing for what might happen if the President of the United States tries to steal the election.
0: Joshua Potash, he is an educator who got on Twitter, as he says, to help defeat authoritarianism. Uh, He runs a Twitter account, which, as I said from the outset, is the authoritative documentation of the protest movement in this country and in the world. Thank you so much for your time today.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Alex. appreciate it.